Good morning, everyone. What a gift to worship with you. Those of you in this room here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby with some of our pastors and leaders. And would love to meet you, especially if you're new here, if you're here for the first time, or if this is your first time in a long time, I'd love to meet you before you head out. And for those of you watching on YouTube, on newlife.nyc, on Facebook, what a gift to worship with you as well. We are at the end of our series entitled Good and Beautiful and Kind. We've been on a journey uh, trying to focus on various themes of Christian faith and discipleship and spiritual formation to move towards goodness and beauty and kindness. And after, as we've been saying over the course of these eight weeks, that, that those three words emerge out of a particular poem from uh, the great African-American poet Langston Hughes, who once wrote a poem that was entitled, Tired, and he said, I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. And when Hughes names the goodness and beauty and kindness that we all long for, he's naming a, 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 a primordial ache in our souls that we all long for goodness and beauty and kindness. But we have to cut the world in two. We must examine the stuff that's happening beneath the surface of our lives to help us uh, move towards goodness and beauty and kindness. And so we began the series focusing on sin and powers and principalities, that, that there is a sin uh, uh, that, that is in all of us a, a, a temptation and a proclivity to turn ourselves inward, uh, not to move towards the world in love, and we need to deal with our sin problem, but we also have to deal with the powers and principalities of our world that contribute to the fractured lives that we experience and the fractured world that we see. We then talked about the importance of humility and contemplative prayer, as well as becoming a calm presence to move us towards goodness, beauty, and kindness. And in the last couple of weeks, we talked about navigating conflict, forgiveness, and we're going to wrap up our series today talking about justice. Justice. The world cannot become good and beautiful and kind without the justice of God ruling and reigning and being washed over this earth. And so what does it mean for us to move towards justice? What does it mean for us to practice justice in our lives and as a church family, that's what we are going to uh, talk about today. The book of Proverbs, chapter 21, we're going to look at two verses, one verse in particular, uh, Proverbs 21, verse 3, but uh, Proverbs 21, 2 and 3, I'm going to read it uh, for you. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, a person may think their own ways are right, uh, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. I want to get that deep in our souls today. Let's actually say that out loud. Let's read verse 3 out loud together. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Lord, Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we would receive all you have for us this day. And Lord, would we have the kind of imagination that moves us towards justice, that moves us towards 
being your hands and feet in this world. And so may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. From a very early age, we are all inclined towards justice. Justice is in our genes. This is something that I see in children all the time, in my own children, when they turn three and four years old and five and six and seven and eight and nine and 10, and the list goes on, they have a way of saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. That children at a very young age somehow begin to identify injustice in their own lives and injustice in the world. They say, that's not fair. And I discovered that there's some research behind this, that when children get a burgeoning sense of, of justice, when does that begin to emerge? And researchers have discovered that that comes as early as three years of age. NPR put out an article in which they highlighted a research done by uh, researchers in the UK and in Germany. And they identified 137 children between the age of three and five, and they had a couple of different experiments to identify when does justice emerge from our lives. And so in the first experiment, they had one of the child, three to five, with their cookies, and they had these puppets, these devious puppets that were next to these kids. And in one case, the devious puppets stole the kids' cookies and took them back, took them. Uh, and the kid would just grab the cookies right back from that puppet over 60% of the time. In the second experiment, they had uh, two different puppets, uh, and the child was in between. And so one puppet had the cookies, another puppet grabbed the cookies from the other puppet, and the puppet began to cry out in distress, oh, my cookies, my cookies. And over 60% of the time, the kid would go to the devious puppet, take back the cookies, and give it back to the puppet that was harmed. And, at the, and these researchers concluded at a very early age that, they, that the same amount of energy and passion to get their own cookies back was used to help another puppet in distress. And they discovered early on that children have this desire to make things right. Things that are wrong to make these things right. And in our day, we are called to that same kind of passion because here's what I know to be true. The older we get, the older we get, we have a way of being concerned about just our cookies. My issues, my problems, my concerns. But to follow Jesus is not just to be concerned about my cookies and my problems and my concerns but by the problems of other people. That to follow Jesus is to move towards justice. And why is this important? Because our world is marked by injustice in many places. Injustice happens individually. Injustice happens interpersonally. Injustice happens institutionally. We live in a world that's often marked by injustice. Injustice occurs in our personal lives when someone promises to do a job and you actually pay them to do the job and then they don't do the job. That is an act of injustice. Injustice occurs when you are disadvantaged because of the color of their skin or the, the sound of your last name. 
Injustice occurs and manifests when people are, are, are marginalized and, and overlooked and rendered invisible. Injustice happens often around us and in our world. And when we think about justice and injustice, it's important to have a particular definition in mind because it's very easy to regulate uh, uh, justice and relegate justice to one simple uh, environment being the courtroom. That the courtroom is the, the, the primary image that comes to mind when we often think about justice. That justice in our culture tends to be limited to punishing criminals for bad deeds. But biblical justice is more than just punishment for wrongdoing. Biblical justice is more than just you getting your rights. Biblical justice is not simply about legal retribution. Biblical justice is about the renewal of the world as expressed interpersonally and institutionally. As, as Cornell West, the philosopher, said, what is justice at the core of it? Justice is what love looks like in public. And this is an important word for Christians who have a way of sentimentalizing love. That love can be so sentimentalized, love can be just so uh, emotional and relegated to the realm of emotion that we don't carry out love in institutional, systematic, structural ways. But what is justice? Justice at its core is what love looks like in public. And what we see in Proverbs chapter 21 is an important insight that I hope gets deep in your souls this day. And it is this simple idea that worship without justice is worthless. Worship without justice is worthless. And this is what we find in Proverbs 21. The book of Proverbs is, is the book in the Bible that moves us towards wisdom, moves us towards joy, moves us towards a, a life that flourishes. And over and over in the book of Proverbs, what we find are language and words and wisdom around the importance of justice. But I want you to see how justice and righteousness is contrasted here with sacrifices. Sacrifices were commanded by God. Sacrifices were, especially in the Old Testament, the ways that the sinner's transgressions were covered. This is good news. Sacrifices reminded the worshiper that whenever the sacrifice emerged, that they are in right standing with God. But the sacrifices were not to stop there. The sacrifices were not simply to be just a one-dimensional thing between us and God. That the sacrifice was to make us into a certain kind of people that showed up in the world. But yet over and over and over again in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and ever since, spirituality has been reduced to this one-dimensionality. Where it's just us and God and that's it. Christianity is often about me and God, me and my relationship with God. And Christianity can be so privatized that we forget the social implications and social demands that God makes of us. And over and over again, what God says in Proverbs and in the, through the prophets is that no matter how great your sacrifice, if it is not joined to the act of justice, then these sacrifices don't mean anything. That if our relationship with God is separated from those who are vulnerable and those who are oppressed and those who are powerless, that no matter how good our sacrifice, 
No matter how much our sacrifice, it means nothing to God. And over and over again, we hear words of this. I want to read you a few passages of Scripture to really get this deep down in our souls. In Isaiah the prophet, the prophet Isaiah says these words, and I'm giving you the message paraphrase of it. Isaiah says, I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. This is God talking. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. That's God speaking through Isaiah the prophet. But there's more. In the book of Amos, God says this to the prophet Amos, very similar. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. As I read this this past week, I was just so convicted in my soul. And I said, I just can't keep this conviction to myself. I got to share this as well. We got to be convicted together. That's my job as a pastor. Every time I get convicted throughout the course of the week, I say, my job is that we're all going to be convicted together. But that's not just the Old Testament. Our Lord Jesus Christ has something similar to say as well. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. On the first Palm Sunday, after the shouts of joy, Jesus is on a donkey. They're saying, Hosanna, save us now. They're celebrating him. And you would think this would be a good time for Jesus to be coronated. This would be a good time for Jesus to receive gifts from everyone. This would be a good time for Jesus to take his throne and rule. But instead of taking his throne and ruling, instead of receiving all the gifts, after they praise him, Jesus goes into the temple. And it says that he clears out the temple, he clears out those who have used religion to exploit people, and he welcomes the blind, and he welcomes the lame in the temple, and he heals them. And, and, and what that reminded of is that Holy Week, Palm Sunday, reminds us that Jesus has a furious and a passionate love for those who the world have little regard for. And so what we see in our text in Proverbs 21 
is this irony that those who tend to get in the way of justice are often religious people who do religious things. And so this proverb comes against self-deception. Self-deception. That as long as we're doing our religious thing, we're okay with God. As long as we do our prayers, we're okay with God. As long as we keep Sabbath, we're okay with God. As long as we do our daily offices, we're okay with God. As long as we take emotionally healthy relationships, we're okay with God. As long as we go through all these, we're okay with God. And he says, now wait a second. You can do all those things and not be right with me. He's coming against the deception of one-dimensional spirituality where it is just me and God. Me and God. And God is saying, no, no, no. It's not just me and God. It's us together. Which makes me recall the importance of having a good definition of what the gospel is. As long as we continue to see the gospel as this one-dimensional thing, as this personal and privatized thing, we will be missing out on what God invites us into. The gospel is not simply news that when you die, you go to heaven, as glorious as that news is. The gospel is not simply the good news that you get your individual sins forgiven, as wonderful as that news is. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus Christ. And that in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his enthronement, the powers of sin and death no longer have the last word. And our task as followers of Jesus is to identify wherever there is sin, wherever there is death, to in his name begin to push that back. That Christianity is not a solo enterprise. That Christianity is concerned about the very well-being of the people around us. And so when Jesus uh, seeks to demonstrate his preaching and this good news, he, he gets baptized in Luke chapter 3. He comes out of the water and the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the evil one. And after he comes out of the wilderness, he begins to open his ministry. And his first message is not about you go to heaven when you die if you trust in me. The first thing Jesus says is that the Spirit of God is on me because he has anointed me, amen, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus announces this, he's talking about spiritual categories, but he's also talking about social categories. He's talking about those who have been oppressed by the devil and those who have been oppressed by demonic systems. He's talking about people who need forgiveness and people who need to be lifted up. And that is the gospel that we are called to embody, not a gospel that closes us off from the world around us. And so the gospel is the good news that there is coming a day, friends, that God is going to take everything that's wrong and he's going to make it right. The gospel is the good news, friends, that everything that is low right now is going to be exalted, and everything that's exalted right now is going to be made low. The gospel is the good news that there is coming a day, praise the Lord, when oppression and exploitation will cease, and the shalom of God, and the rule of God, and the peace of God, and the joy of God will reign. 
That is the big picture to which we are called. Not a spirituality that's simply concerned about our own issues, but a spirituality that moves us to be concerned about the issues of the world, about the issues of our neighbors, about the issues of those who are overlooked and vulnerable, about those who are broken. And so what does this look like for us to embody this gospel? What does this look like for us to move towards justice, to move towards mercy, to move towards compassion, to embody this good news of Jesus? What I want to do is give four invitations, four very simple invitations for us to have our lives individually and as a church family together set on joining God in making this world just. What does it mean for us to move in this direction? Number one, we must note that practicing justice does not have to be big. Practicing justice does not have to be big. We often have, I often have a mentality that says, go big or go home. And I can get so caught up in, it has to be big. It has to be really significant. And if it's not really big and significant, I don't know if I want to do it. But justice does not have to be big. We don't have to be Martin Luther King Jr. to do works of justice. And while everyone is not called to practice justice in the same way, to the same scale, we are all called to practice justice. And whether we're volunteering with our CDC or partnering with organizations as our churches right now around issues like affordable housing, or whether we're advocating for those in our workplaces, those in our schools, those in our families who have never had a voice, and you're advocating for them to have a voice, justice does not have to be big. And we can start right where we are at. Secondly, practicing justice requires us to name our burden. Do you know that there's stuff that's inside of you? There's whenever grief hits your heart, whenever anger hits your heart, might that be the Holy Spirit trying to invite you to take action? Might that be the Holy Spirit not just trying to have you have that moment of anger and then have your own personal, private, emotional catharsis? Might it be that when something rises up inside of you, God is calling you to take action on it? but it requires us to name our burdens. There's certain things that bother me that might not bother you and certain things that bother your neighbor that might bother someone else. But whatever God is depositing in our heart, wherever our soul aches, wherever there is anger, wherever there's grief, wherever there is lament, these might be invitations for God to actually take action, but it requires us to name our burdens. It was Frederick Buechner who talked about what what, what calling looks like. And he said that the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And if I can modify that for the sake of this message, I say that that, that calling is the place where, where your deep burdens and the world's deep needs actually meet. And so this calls us to pay attention to our own emotional life, to our own anger and grief, because might it be that God is inviting you to take action because of something that's unsettled in your soul. Thirdly, what does this require of us? Practicing justice requires us to prioritize proximity to the poor. Prioritizing proximity to the poor. There's a church in London 
that was putting on a big worship event uh, at Royal Albert Hall, a massive, beautiful hall and beautiful concert. But the people who signed up were, were far more that this place could hold. And so the organizers went to Buckingham Palace and asked if they could use the royal boxes that were not in use for that day up to that moment. And those boxes were for dignitaries. Those boxes were for uh, presidents. Those boxes were for people like Nelson Mandela. I mean, I mean the royals, uh, people who are highly regarded by the world around them. And the organizers wrote to Buckingham Palace and said, can we use this? And they said, yes, you can use it under the condition that they seat their most esteemed guests there. And so the organizers said, yeah, absolutely, we'll, we'll be sure to put our most esteemed guests there. And after the event, they wrote to the queen a letter of thanks. And they said, we, we did seat our most honored guests in that spot which were a group of homeless people who had wanted to attend that event. Proximity, empowering, moving towards the poor. God invites us into that. That's the work of justice. And throughout the scriptures, what we find over and over again, God loves everyone. God's love is, of course, universal. But over and over again in the Bible, what we find is that God has a unique place in God's hearts for the poor. A unique place in God's heart for the powerless. There's a unique place, a special place in God's heart for those who the world overlooks. And if they, and if they have a special place in God's hearts, they are to have a special place in ours as well. Lastly, and then we'll share communion together. How do we begin to move towards justice? We're not going to have all the answers today, but I hope the Holy Spirit does something in our soul and uses this truth to awaken something in us. Lastly, justice requires us to guard against moral numbness. To guard against moral numbness. It's very easy to feel numb around the problems of our world. Earlier this week, as we already mentioned, there was another tragic shooting in our nation. And it's very easy just to feel numb about it all. Very easy to think there's nothing we can do about it. It's very easy to give into the moral numbness that we live in a society where there are many who love their AR-15s more than they love children. That they love their weapons of mass destruction more than they love a world that's marked by peace. And it's very easy to grow numb, brothers and sisters, in a world that just seems to get worse and worse every single year. What happens in this country is not happening in other countries in this world. That there's some demonic powers at work in our nation around the idolatry of this. It was Dr. King who talked about our idolatry towards militarism and consumerism. And the idolatry in this country, really, if you want to summarize it, is oriented around our idolatry about the dollar and the gun. And it can be so easy to feel numb 
that there's nothing we can do about this. And every time that numbness arises in me, and every time that numbness arises in you, let us remember the God of justice who does not grow numb. That the God of justice weeps, and the God of justice grieves, and the God of justice is looking for people who will join him in the healing and in the shalom of the world. The God of justice is not the God of mythology. The God of justice in the scriptures is the God of history. The God who steps into our world, who doesn't just want to make us feel good personally and emotionally, but the God who wants to make things right in our society. And this is why the greatest prayers that we can pray, brothers and sisters, are not simple, simply the prayers that make us feel better about the problems of our world. The best prayers that we can pray are the prayers that lead us to taking action with our feet. People are longing for people who pray, not just to pray to God and that's it. They're looking, the world is desperate for people who pray in such a way that they become the very hands and feet of God. And until our prayers turn into action, it's hypocrisy. This is why the theologian Miroslav Volf says something so important for us to hear. And when she says there's something deeply hypocritical about praying for a problem you're unwilling to resolve. And so every time congressmen and senators and leaders and Christians all over this country offer thoughts and prayers for injustice without putting hands and feet to the process, God doesn't hear any of our prayers. God turns his ear and says, unless you are going to put flesh onto your prayers, I don't hear anything you're saying. It's just a babbling mess. Why? Because God is concerned with the healing and the shalom of the world. And whenever Christianity becomes this privatized thing where we focus on our own spiritual life and our own emotional life to the extent where we totally disregard love for neighbor, God doesn't hear our prayers. But I want God to hear my prayers. I want to join in what God is doing. And yet it can feel so large, the world before us, the problems, that we can't move towards anything, which is why there's a prayer that we have in our home that I see almost every single day. And I need these words to wake me up from my spiritual numbness. I need to read these words every day to wake me up from my emotional numbness. I need these words. Let me speak in the eye. I need these words to move me towards the God of justice. Is these words spoken by this Franciscan blessing that says, may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice oppression, exploitation of people, 
so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. If you're here today, it's because God's hand is on your life. And you and I being focused on our own individual spiritual life to the exclusion of joining our lives to those who are overlooked and oppressed and exploited is a religion that Jesus knows nothing of. And on this Palm Sunday, may we join our King. May we join Him in moving towards a broken world to see it healed in His name. Amen. Let me invite you to close your eyes and before we come to the table of communion. The good news of the gospel is that for those of you who have been on the receiving end of injustice, God sees you and hears you. God comes to your aid For those of you who have this burden to do something, but it feels so overwhelming, wow, we need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. Where are you morally numb today? Where have you not named your burden? And today, something is rising up inside of you. We come to the table of communion to be reminded that The gospel is not some immaterial good news. The gospel's good news for a very physical, material world. That our God becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. Broken and poured out for the world. Let's all stand together. I want to invite you to grab the communion elements. And we come to the table of communion. What a wonderful time. If you need elements, feel free to raise your hand and one of our ushers will hand you one. What a wonderful way to close a message like this with the Lord's table, being reminded that the God we worship, that the king we bow down to, is not simply the one who oversees afterlife affairs, but he is the God of history. God who longs to move here and now and invites us to do so. On the screen, we'll have our prayer of confession and and then we'll receive the elements together. Let's pray this prayer on the screen together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault in thought, in word, and deed. 
and what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the people of God set free through the broken body of Jesus Christ, let's all receive together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. As the people of God, forgiven by the poured out blood of Jesus Christ, let's all receive together. Lord, we thank you for your broken body and poured out blood. The ways in which you heal the world. And the ways in which you invite us into participation to have our lives broken and poured out for the sake of the world. Lord, teach us to guard against moral numbness. Teach us to name our burdens. Teach us to lift our voices. Teach us to discern the ways you're calling us to join you in mercy and compassion, in healing and injustice, in our own contexts. And as we do so, may we participate in the life of Jesus. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's have our prayer team come to my right. We end every gathering with a time of prayer, friends. For a couple of reasons. Number one, to help activate something in your soul as we pray for one another. There is a unique uh, blessing, a unique presence of God when we pray for one another that becomes available to us. And so if there's something that's been stirring in your own soul today, we want to pray for you along those lines. Additionally, in a room this size, I just naturally assume that there's so many of you that are carrying heavy burdens. There's so many of you that have relational fractures. So many of you wrestling with depression, sickness in your body. And you just need someone to pray for you and join you and lay hands on you. And so maybe you've experienced some pain this past week. Maybe you feel so lonely. You need the reassurance and the gift of the community of God. We want to pray for you in the name of Jesus. And so feel free to come forward 
as we'd love to pray for you. As we close, also want to let you know, maybe you came into our church today, maybe you're watching online, and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never, you've never said, I want to receive Christ as Savior. I want to follow Christ in the way of Jesus. I talked about justice today. Maybe you're saying, yeah, that's the God I want to follow, a God of justice. And if you want to take your next step, I want to invite you to do so in a couple of ways. You can come up for, to our prayer team. You can scan that QR code, and we'd love to help you take your next step. And maybe you want to get baptized. Maybe you have said yes to Jesus Christ, but you haven't taken the next step of being baptized and participating in his life and death and in his resurrection. We'd love to serve you along those lines as well. We have our church-wide Lenten study uh, that's going to take place here. Where, where is that happening here? Who's... In this room here. So do we need to move the chairs and all that again? All right. So uh, the prayer team is going to be in the upper stage room again. And so if you want to receive prayer because we're going to have a good discussion in here, feel free to go up there. But as you did two weeks ago, for those of you up here, don't touch the chairs. You're all good. Those of you down here, uh, feel free to grab a chair. And for those on this side of the camera, bring it to this side and those on this side of the camera, if you can bring in that side there, that would be really helpful so that we can set up because we're gonna have a, a conversation, our last conversation around uh, this topic. And lastly, for those of you online, there's a sermon discussion time. Feel free to click that link and one of our leaders will be facilitating that time. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. God invites us to a good life, a beautiful life, a kind life. God invites us to follow in the way of Jesus, to recognize him as Lord and Savior, to see his way and his teachings as the way and teachings that truly leads to a world that's made new. And so may we enter into uh, participation with Jesus in some fresh ways, with your hands and your hearts in the posture of receiving. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the God of justice, bearing witness to the God of mercy, bearing witness to the God of compassion, bearing witness to the God who will make all things new. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the just name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.